Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 132, The Rules of Life and Death. This week we're discussing series 9, episode 4 of Doctor Who, Before the Flood, and season 2, episode 14 of Angel, The Thin Deadline. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, we're back with part two of this Doctor Who story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, in, an interesting, it it's kind of a weird thing because, like, you get, it starts out not, like where we left off, but there's like an interruption now. Right. So we get yeah, yeah. this um, kind of listen like, uh, mm. uh, you know, talking to the audience. Um, mm-hmm. And all, but, you know, with his guitar. And so it's sort of reminiscent too of like when he was in the, um, the medieval stadium there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was sort yeah. of instructing the people there about who he is and what he's doing and all of that. But except it's us, we're the ones watching um, instead of, you know, all those other people. Um, And we get, uh, you know, his description of this thing called the bootstrap paradox, um, which essentially, and correct me if I get this wrong, but essentially it's that you, go back in time to ensure something happens. But the way that you ensure that it happens is by you doing it, which sort of creates almost a loop in that, like you're, Mm. you're the one doing it. And so it gets done, but then it becomes like, you know, an important part of history or whatever. So therefore it has to be done uh, in the future kind of thing. Right. Well, and it's also, it creates a like, chicken or egg scenario right. of, of how did it ever get done in the first place if if you doing it if it being done requires you going back in time yeah. because you knew it was going to be done like it yeah yeah the loop it's definitely and it's a Heinlein reference right you're the Heinlein guy isn't well, it a there it's it's by his bootstraps right is the Heinlein story um there is a story of his called by his bootstraps but actually that was not the story that i was thinking of so i guess um okay i i guess maybe uh i've got some reading to do in that case um there's actually a different story that i was thinking of of highline um that is called uh um sorry excuse me that's called all you zombies that um plays with sort of paradox paradoxes and origins and that mm-hmm. sort of thing um but yeah i i was not aware of the by his bootstraps uh reference there but that makes sense um and i see that the wikipedia page for by his bootstraps also references all you zombies so i'm not that far off um which right which, right it's an idea that heinlein played with I guess, oh yeah a, a number times. a number of times and there so yeah, yeah. um there was a film actually just came out uh, last year called Predestination, mm-hmm. um, starring Ethan Hawke, um, mm-hmm. and that film is based on the the story All You Zombies. So I, I 
okay. very much uh, recommend it. Uh, it. It was very well, uh, very good adaptation, and uh, mm -hmm. is is you know. I'll, well, I'll go ahead and say it. Like, um, it's basically the story of one person, but you see them in different. You see that person in different modes, and like, mm -hmm. you see it play out from the perspective of one particular mode, I guess. And so you don't realize necessarily like who's going. Well, now you do because I just told you. But um, <laughs> you know, but like the revelation is that you see the story like as it's revealed you know, to like this character as he's growing older or whatever. And you're seeing um, there, there's time travel involved in that kind of thing mm -hmm. too. So very sort of Dr. Who-ish in a way um, there, but you're seeing like these different modes of a person's life and not really, um, you know, uh, no understanding what's happening there. Uh, a similar, uh, a similar feel. Have you seen the movie Looper with, um, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, that, that also I think has a similar kind of feel where it's, you know, yeah, you're going back to, you know, people are sent back and kind of to kill themselves and they're not right. supposed to know right. it, but then someone finds out and right. causes right. a chain of events kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a kind of interesting um, little moment just because, yeah, like very rarely, I mean, you're right to make the connection to listen. I think like those kinds of little philosophical musings are very 12th doctor-ish but also like I think you know this is probably one of the only this is one of the most direct addressed to cameras like that there has been you know like for rather than just like a little look every so often like this is a no this is like a monologue to the camera right um which is kind of like you know startling it doesn't really go anywhere which is a little bit disappointing like I kind of like you know I feel like that's a maybe a better idea than really they put effort into making it but like you know I I, I kind of like stuff like that so I kind of wish they'd done a little bit more with it but um yeah well and kind of kind of shocking to suddenly be like you know having him kind of talk to you and everything and then the little meta things continue like um, you mentioned him playing the guitar and if you'll notice he, he keeps playing over the credits like yeah. he plays along with the credits and so it's sort of like it continues with this idea of he's sort of playing his own theme song as he's introducing the story you're about to watch and everything yeah. so well and I almost called it a frame but it's not technically a frame because you, it only happens in the beginning um, right Except that right at the end, you kind of get that knowing glance. One at little the, at like, the, so, wink at the audience. So yeah. you, you also have to wonder, like, okay, are we seeing this out of order? Like, is this, is the doctor addressing Clara in Clara, that, right. you know, opening sequence? And then maybe the end is just like where we get the final the final look yeah. and that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it's hard to say whether it actually is a frame or not. Um, yeah. And actually that, I think at the time that had occurred to me of like, okay, is someone supposed to be there in the room with him at the time? And, you know, it's just, you know, so yeah, I think that is kind of one way you could read it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree like this. I mean, listen kind of had almost like, again like the addressing the the audience 
perspective to it, but it like, it was not quite, it was more like he's just talking to himself and we're just kind of there listening. Mm -hmm. Um, But this beginning, this opening was very much more like you said, like he's actually addressing someone and who else is there? Well, it must be us. (laughs) Like, um, unless you take that extra step to say, well, Clara's there at the end. So maybe, maybe she's just off you know, off screen. Right. Um, right. She's the camera or, you know, or, we or are right, in, right. Or, or we are in her place we're, at that time. We're getting whatever. Clara's Dalek vision again. Right. Right. Um, but yeah. And yeah. And the, the guitar thing, um, I like this kind of 12th doctor as a like geezer rocker, you know, like <laughs> he's this right. like, you know, like slightly, slightly aging punk rocker. I feel like they've played that up a lot this season. Like, mm. They kind of took that aspect of his personality and have really kind of leaned into it. So like the kind of like, you know, the way they're kind of dressing him and the way he's a little bit, you know, he's still kind of, you know, snarky and sarcastic, but like in a more kind of like fun, fun loving sort of way than, than before. And then you add the guitar in and I feel like that's, this is sort of like, you know, Capaldi, the the guy who used to be in a punk band, is sort of that aspect of him. Sure. Um, so I I like that that they've kind of added that to the twelfth Doctor. So let's talk through some of the story a little bit. Um, and like I'm I mean like the main plot. Um, mm-hmm. And it largely follows the Doctor. Um, I mean, we get some cuts back and forth between sort of the 1980s, you know, fake Soviet town uh, yeah. story. And, um, you know, the the futuristic underwater uh, story, you know, uh, installation there. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like even, even when we're sort of in the installation, like it's still kind of about the <laughs> doctor in a, sure. in a very real way. So, um, so they go, you know, the, Doctor's in the TARDIS. Um, he's going back to try to figure out what happened. He's with uh, Bennett and O'Donnell. And um, they go back. And it turns out that this village that eventually was flooded um, was a fake town. Like, it was a place to go train soldiers or whatever for, or spies or whatever it was, for mm-hmm. living in, you know, fighting in or whatever, you know, some Soviet village um, which of course, okay, so 1980s, you're thinking like end of the Cold War, like still very much, uh, right. you know, thinking about potential for massive, you know, atomic destruction and, uh, you know, very much afraid of Soviet Union and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, uh, I don't know that I have much to say about that. Like, I find that the setting is sort of intriguing, but I don't know the meaning of it. So like, I don't have much to say about it. (laughs) Like, like other, other than that, it's just like, okay, well, like, why couldn't it just be like a 1980s town in England? Like, you know, why did it have to be like this fake Soviet town that gets destroyed? Like, I feel like maybe they're trying to say something there, but I just, I wasn't able to sort of suss it out. So maybe we don't need to dwell on it too much, but. um... Sure. I, so the only thing that like, 
I kind of feel the same way. I mean, the only thing I could really come up with, but it doesn't really even uh, do all that much for me is um, the, the, this idea of the, the alien threat being the Fisher King, um, mm. you know, which is a Arthurian, you know, the legend of the, right. you know, he's the wounded King who, you know, he's the King of the wasteland and, you know, in it, like his, you know, being, uh, wounded is, is directly related to, you know, the health of the land. Um, and he guards the Holy Grail and all this other stuff. So, you know, I thought, well, the thing that frustrates me though, is that the story doesn't really do anything with, with that idea either. So it's like, you know, this is kind of a wasteland that he rules. It's this like barren, empty, there's no people, um, you know, but Okay, so is he called the Fisher King because he, you know, lives in this wasteland or did they give him a wasteland because he's called the Fisher King? Neither of them really do anything all that like Arthurian or mythic with that idea. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, again, you could have gone in some sort of, you know, potentially there's some sort of commentary about Cold War nuclear wasteland in there. But like, I mean, OK, not really. Like, <laughs> like, I feel like these all are potentially connected, but don't ever. Right. Like uh, they just do anything all that interesting. There's like um, one more step that they needed to take and they just never did. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we could sit and speculate about what that step would be or why, you know, what piece is missing, why they didn't do it. Um, but I mean, I think I said this off air. Um, I find this, this pair, the kind of weak link of the season in general. So, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to argue with finding it a little bit, uh, wanting, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't have a lot to add to like, what the I don't think the setting really does contribute much to the plot, really. Um, um, so okay, so we 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 do, however, meet um, the first the first ghost, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, which is so just thinking about it, right? So I don't I don't remember if they actually say how big because the the underwater installation that's in the future, but I don't, do we ever find out how far in the future? that is um they did say it's a couple hundred years okay, at the most okay. i think well um, it's like near near future you know the thing that i find interesting is um and maybe this is explainable more uh because now we know what happens with like the doctor blowing up the dam and being the one to sort of lay waste to the waste town <laughs> mm -hmm. um but, like, I find it interesting because, like, apparently people do come and they build this installation and, like, all this stuff. But there's, like, yeah, so if it's a 100 years or a couple hundred years or whatever, like, this uh, apprentice who dies is still, like, around hunting the, mm -hmm. the place. Um, I, I guess we don't know, like, how far he can go. Like, mm. you know, it's we learned that the ghosts are, you know, like electromagnetic signals or whatever. So maybe there's right. like a radius uh, that he can go. And so it's not until like, 
people bring him onto into the you know bring the ship into the installation like that seems to be the trigger and so like until then he's just sort of at the bottom of this reservoir like and can't go further than you know whatever distance um that's the impression i get like i kind of get the impression that nobody has really been here since then so like they're just now starting to you know dig for the oil or whatever it is that is under there um and yeah so he's been sort of floating around waiting for victims this whole time um which and yeah i mean it is this kind of beacon rescue beacon or whatever to you know the fisher king's people so i guess it doesn't really help him for prentice to go wandering across the earth yeah well and i was wondering like is it even like yeah, like what? Like he's the signal for the ship, so like he has to stay within a certain range. I would imagine, like mm-hmm. that seems to be. But like as you get more people, then maybe presumably they could go further because there's more. There, you know, each one boosts the signal further, kind of thing. So like maybe eventually, right. with enough people, they could make it like out of the lake bottom, kind of thing. But until right. they got to that level, and if there was no one there to even, you know help boost it then then that right, would right. be um you know that that wouldn't happen so anyway uh, so anyway so we meet prentice um he's a tavoli who mm-hmm. we've met these creatures before mm-hmm. uh they're kind of what like rodent like and and yeah uh you know they their planet gets invaded a lot or whatever um mm-hmm. i you know I don't find these guys very like. I, I'm kind of surprised they brought him back. Like, I just, mm. I just don't find him very compelling, yeah. or like the species that can. Like, it's not even like the Ood, sure. who were you know like a servant species, but like, yeah. you know, at least had some like redeeming qualities when like with the whole Ood brain and like that kind of thing. Like these guys, I don't really find redeeming in that way. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, I actually, maybe I'll send it to you. I, I read a, you know, blog post kind of taking down, you know, taking Toby Whithouse to task for the Tivoli and like how they are one of the few, um, you know, it, it, it's not just that they're not presented in a flattering light, you know, but like how they're kind of mocked and ridiculed for being victims, which is not really you know like and even the doctor you know who normally is the one to empathize with people is kind of like yeah i don't even like these guys <laughs> sure like the point of them is to be despised by everybody um and yet all they do is try to survive as various people like you know enslave and oppress them um so you know they're not necessarily the most you know uh interesting creation i think and you know and and the idea too that like what does he what does him being tavoli really do for the story you know um sure like it, it at least with uh i think it was gibbous in the god complex mm. um he he contributed something to the plot where you know you kind of had him you know at times um betraying the others you know because of this sort of you know, uh, 
you know, ingrained thing of him to sort of survive and, and always surrender and all this kind of thing. Like, you know, you know, it, whether or not you like them as a creation, at least that had something to do with the story. Right. Um, whereas I feel like Prentice could have been a human. He could have been, um, you know, pretty much any humanoid talking species. And, right. um, and like literally his only job is to get killed and be a ghost. Right. So, you know, other than making a little callback to the God complex, um, you know, yeah. Well, it seems fairly unnecessary. So, and and like it would have been more interesting if you did have someone who like tried to fight back or whatever, and like just still ended up losing. Like rather yeah. than this just sort of roll over and die, right. you know, character. <laughs> Which and we don't even see him roll over and die. He, like he gets killed off screen. Like he's sure. just there to say i'm the undertaker and then in the next scene he's been killed yeah. so it like his surrendering <coughs> doesn't even play any sort of part in the story really um so yeah and actually i found it really confusing because for the first half i didn't recognize what he was because of all the like ghost effects sure so the first the whole time for the first half i'm trying to figure out like what is like weird about this this ghost face and then like in the second half i'm like oh he's a tavoli he's the mole guy you know but like even the fact that i wasted time wondering this <laughs> it's like right probably that wasn't you know two layers of makeup is probably not the best idea um and you right, know. and effects or whatever yeah yeah like you so you already have the like alien makeup and then you have the like ghost effect on top of it um i just found it kind of confusing um sure. so yep yeah but i guess i mean he delivers some exposition he says you know where they're from and um right you and know who the who the bad guy is like that's who the, the bad main... guy is sort of thing yeah. that he gives i guess right right and and the reason prentice is this kind of victorian you know in a you know victorian tuxedo is he's this undertaker and and i guess the tavoli or no not the tavoli the whatever the fisher king is his people were overthrown by another people and you know he gets sent to be buried out you know in the wasteland in disgrace um you know on some sort of barren backwater planet which is earth apparently um yeah you know well, and, so <laughs> and i mean the the only mildly amusing you know point of the whole the whole sort of explanation is that like the people who liberated the tavoli like got so irritated with them that they enslaved them again like you know, it's just like, yeah, I can see. I can see why. Um, yeah, which is what everybody does. Yeah. All right. Um, so, like, I feel like we've talked about him more than we need to. Um, sure. The, the... So we get him, and we get, like, the situation, like, okay, here's the Fisher King or whatever. Oh, look, he's dead. Blah, blah, blah. They go away. They come back. Oh, wait, he's not dead. Um but sort of in the meantime is when the doctor is like calling Clara and finding mm -hmm. out what's going on there. And they find out like, Oh, there's a ghost doctor here and he's saying some stuff. What's he saying? 
they kind of have their conversation. Um, this is the first time this season, um, and it, it comes up a few more times where I notice um, the amount of t like <laughs> the amount of plot that centers around smartphones being a thing, like. Like the fact that they FaceTime for like right. the whole first section of the like sure I feel like all of a sudden that's like worked into the plot now where that wasn't in previous years. Um, not that that matters. It's just I noticed it all of a sudden. Like, yeah. Oh, we're firmly in the age of smartphone video phone technology. So sure. Um, sure. Where that becomes like not just a convenience but like an essential plot thing of like you know, right. show him to me on the phone. And so I'll interface with him and everything. Right. I need to talk to myself kind of. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And they're, and they're like, even like when they go later, when Clara and Cass and Lund go into the Faraday cage and like the, they're like watching the phone, like from, you know, the window yeah. of, of the room and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, but yeah, like, well, and I feel we mentioned this last week and I feel like there's, it, it happened again where like Clara doesn't do a whole lot. So like a lot of what Clara does is like the doctor just telling her to let him know what his ghost is doing. Mm. So it's like, okay, what, like. <laughs> she just doesn't do a whole lot. So like even even when yeah. like like her and Cass go out, like she's she like figures out like, oh okay. Well she didn't even figure out, right? Isn't it Cass or I guess together they go they kind of figure out like why Lun is safe from the ghosts. But like and like Clara sends them out. Mm -hmm. But then like even when they go out, like Cass is like, Oh, we have to go after him and so Clara's like, Okay, let's go after him. And then, like, they just kind of run around. But, like, Cass is the one who does stuff then, like, not Clara. Right, so, like, right. even even in those cases, it's just kind of a weird thing where, like, once again, you have Clara, who, you know, we commented about being so doctorish last season, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, is once again sort of sidelined and not, not really yeah. given much of a, you know, I don't know. She just, she just doesn't do a whole lot. Um yeah, no, I mean, I think um, there's a couple things there. Um, like, I think she is, she has her couple moments of doctorishness of like, you know, like you said, kind of leading them and being the one to sort of figure out why it has to be Lun and, and sending him back out. Um, but, you know, and, and I do think that part of it I mean, part of it could just be these episodes aren't the strongest. Um, sure. But part of it, I do think, is that she's caught in this awkward space between doctorishness and companionness. Because if it's kind of the doctor is the one figuring out how are we going to beat the bad guy. Um, and Cass is the one doing the empathetic companion thing of we have to care for our friend and we can't let him go out there on his own. Clara is sort of stuck somewhere in between. Like, you know, she kind of is, you know, saying, you know, well, the doctor told me what has to be done and trying to be very sort of firm and, you know, 
you know, a leader and, you know, not, and be practical about it, you know, but, you know, but she's not really the doctor. She's not the one like leading the story and figuring out, you know, sure how we're going to save the day and everything. Um, so, you know, I think she's still kind of caught in that awkward in between space. And I feel like it doesn't, again, it just doesn't give her a whole lot to do. You know, if she's not going to figure out the plot and she's not going to be the, the carer, then what else is there? It's like the tag along, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, the other thing I want to point out too is like the amount of time um, so far in this season, we're only four episodes in, but still we're four episodes in that the doctor and Clara are spent separated from each other. Um, sure. So like even, yeah. even when Clara is in it, I feel like a huge part of their story is like defined by their absence from each other, you know, like mm. they can't find the doctor in the magician's apprentice. And then they're pretty much immediately separated in and spend all of the witches familiar apart. And then, okay, they're together in the last episode, but it ends with them getting separated from each other. And then again, this episode, they're totally in separate stories. Um, So, you know, just another thing I want to, you know, point out. Yeah. Just Just keep our eye on it. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. Um, um, so the one thing I do think is an interesting aspect, um, which I want to spend at least a couple minutes on is, um, when they are separated, their kind of reactions to the other one being, you know, endangered. Um, hmm. so from Clara, um, you get what I think is, you know, on the one hand, a fairly typical, like, you know, you can't die. You have to make it out of here. Promise you'll come back for me kind of speech. But there's also like some interesting dialogue in there, which I don't think always gets stated. So things like, um, like he says he might die and she says, not with me, die with whoever comes after me. You do not leave me, which again, from Clara, you know, the carer, is like kind of an interesting statement. Like, it's not just about, um, you know, I want you to be safe, you know, or you have to promise me you'll survive. It's this kind of like, you know, to me, this is the same thing, Clara, with her, you know, I'm owed, you know, something by somebody, you know, in the last season of like, you know, there's a kind of, I don't know if entitlement is the right word or you know, self-centered maybe, and not all like in a bad way. I think she is concerned about, you know, the doctor's welfare. But this idea of you can die with the next companion, but not with me. Like, again, there's this kind of, there's something special about this relationship. Um, Sure. And not that I don't care what happens to you later, but you don't, get to die on my watch. Um, you know, which I think is kind of a, a weird little spin on that idea. It, um, yeah. But I mean, the other thing is, and we kind of brought this up, I think once before, maybe last season or whatever, 
Um, but at this point, for the new series anyway, for New Who, mm -hmm. uh, Claire is the longest companion that the Doctor's had, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly in terms of, I mean, you know, from the like, amount of time that we have, the amount of time that yeah. we've seen her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and which, which I, we don't know. I, we can't. I think is probably Amy and Rory were there for ten years or whatever. Well, um, I, but I think I was going to say like I feel like we can make that. I I feel like there's sort of you you can sort of like play that out in sort of like a proportionate basis. Like, like we know that like yeah. Amy and Rory and Rose and you know all of the companions had other like um adventures with the doctor that we don't see on screen mm -hmm. but like I feel like at this point even though like for a long time like it was like a weekly thing with Claire right okay pick me mm -hmm. up next Wednesday or whatever like there yeah. there are still a lot of Wednesdays we probably didn't see. You know what I mean? Like so there's still yeah, yeah, yeah. there's still like stuff in there. And now, you know, we've we've gotten to the point where like Clara like there you know, there's illusions at the beginning of the last episode of adventures that they had just been on. So like I feel like even though like the companions would have had adventures, you know, off screen, like their on screen time sort of gives you it's sort of like a heuristic where you can sort of say proportionally, yeah. you know, this is about as much time as the doctor has spent with each companion. And so, mm -hmm. you know, in that regard, someone could maybe totally say I'm wrong and whatever, that's fine. But assuming that that is correct, Clara, yeah. Clara is, has been with the doctor longer than any other companion mm -hmm. we've seen since knew who started. Which is to say that I think you're right. Like, I think that, I, and I don't know if she knows that that's the case. I mean, companions don't often talk about each other. Like, she's not, you know, she's not asking about old girlfriends, so to speak, right? Like, right, this isn't, right. this isn't like, oh, so tell me about Rose or tell me about Martha or, you know, right. like, like, this is, right. you know, whatever. So, like, I don't think it's necessarily even that she realizes it at this point. But there is a certain, you know, maybe just that fact that she's been with him for so long is giving her mm -hmm. that, like you said, like that entitlement or that selfishness of whatever. Because she also says, I don't care about your rules or your bloody survivor's guilt. Like, like she knows him well enough to know, like, what he's thinking. Like, there are yeah, two things yeah. that the doctor plays on. It's, you know, uh, silly adherence to odd rules when it suits him and right. you know the survivor's guilt of you know i'm the last of the time lords and you know so this is you know except missy who shows up every now and then but like right. you know but basically yeah. yeah yeah uh you know but yeah like that there's this there's like these feelings that he sort of like maybe he doesn't always intentionally use them to sort of get his way but they frequently happen to just like work out in that, like, it makes people feel for him and he gets his way because of that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, um, right, right. So, yeah, so, like, this is her saying, like, I don't care about any of that. If you love me in any way, you'll come back. And it, 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 on the one hand, I agree with you. Like, I think she does genuinely, you know, care for the doctor and everything. It's not like, you know, me, me, me. 
But that is a very mm-hmm. selfish sentiment. If you love me, you'll do this. Like that's right. a very not entirely healthy relationship ultimatum, you know, being made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, the rules of like, you know, the universe. So like, yeah. again, of life and death. you know, yeah. we could, we could maybe uh, question how seriously to take the doctor when he insists on adhering to obscure rules that only he knows about. Like, but assuming that there are rules and that the universe does operate a certain way, you know, yeah, to kind of say, if you refuse to, you know, rewrite the rules of the universe, you don't love me anymore. Like, that's a right. very kind of petulant yeah. way of, yeah. you know, it's manipulative. Yeah. Um, well, and right. And this and, is this is right after the doctor was saying, like, this isn't a potential future. It's this is the future now. It's already happened. Right. Like, right. It's not quite the fixed point in time idea, but it's kind of similar to that in that it's like this isn't, you know, even the tiniest change, the ramification could be catastrophic. Okay, yes, I could change things, but if I do, they're going to be, they could, there's a good chance that they'll be very terrible. Like this is not like, okay, yes, maybe, maybe it's not a fixed point in time, but it like should be (laughs) like... Right. You know, there's a reason why we don't just go around willy nilly changing what happens. Right. Especially like this. The thing it reminds me the most of, especially when they're doing that, like it reminds me of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban when they're watching themselves over the hill, like just beyond the hedge. It's like, you know, that thing of we've gone 10 minutes in the past. And so we're literally like right over there and, you know, trying not to like bump into ourselves. Um, sure. The thing it reminds me the most of is um, uh, the angels take Manhattan when, you know, when they have the book of like, okay, there's this book and it's filled with words and we don't know what the words are. But as soon as we read the words, they become set, you know, like it's almost like the reading of the words is what creates the fixed timeline or whatever, sure. you know, so you have freedom. But if I read, you know, you know, Rory is in the basement, then that's where he is. Um, and, you know, so it, again, yeah, it's not just traveling in time and changing things. It's this idea of, well, I've already seen myself do something or, you know, um, and so that makes it, you know, I guess rigid in a way that, you know, it wouldn't be otherwise. Um, right. Which I guess then like the bootstrap paradox is the only way out of that is to make sure that the things, you know, happen, stay that way, but you, you do them in such a way that it still gives you that get out of jail free card of like, well, it's me in the stasis chamber and not the Fisher King or, you know, Hmm. you try to manipulate all the variables so that it kind of comes out in your favor. Um, even though like nothing has really changed basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think like that's it. That's the thing I want to point out about Clara is the kind of, again, not that I don't think she genuinely cares about the doctor and not that I think she's like, you know, I'm not saying she's a bad person, but I think there's some, there's some subtext that is like troubling underneath all the like, what she's saying sounds like the generic, you know, 
come back to me speech, but underneath there's some like kind of other stuff going on, I think. Mm. Um, and then from his side of it, the fact that that works, you know, the fact that, you know, her saying those things to him and, um, and it being her name being the next on the list are, you know, sure. the motivators, like, you know, again, the doctor will always try to save everybody always saves the day, you know, but kind of basically admits, you know, he puts Clara at a higher priority than himself, but basically everybody else, you right. know, that like, okay, if Clara says I have to save her and I have to come back, then, you know, that's what he's going to have to do. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I want to, so I, you know, I don't, there is some stuff with him and the Fisher King too, that like we get a bit, but I don't, I mean, again, I don't know how much like the Fisher King himself is like that big of a deal, but it's more mm -hmm. like the things that he says about the doctor. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, like the doctor says, you know, the world is protected by me and the Fisher King's like, yes, one man lost in time. Well, okay. Like that's not necessarily news to us. Like we know who the doctor is, <laughs> right. but like, yeah. um, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about it is like in that conversation, I feel like the doctor seems to be, and, and maybe this is just like a further reflection of his earlier sentiment, right? This isn't a potential future. It's the future that actually, happens like mm -hmm. the doctor does feel like he's i don't i don't know forlorn like is that the right word or mm -hmm. like there 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 seems to be um a certain uh acceptance or inevitability maybe to like his uh mm -hmm. discussion there with the fisher king in that like right. um you know he talks about um uh, just in in all of the things that the Fisher King says. I'm sorry, I'm trying to like find in my notes here specifically what I was trying to say. So there's one. It might be this part where he's like, you know, the thing about knowing you're going to die, you've got nothing left to lose, like that kind of talk of like, um, you know, being desperate enough to kind of, you know do anything is that kind of yeah just that idea just that idea that like the doctor almost and and it's like more a mood too than like maybe even anything he specifically says but like in the yeah. you know before the doctor gets all you know hey yeah. all yeah maybe i'm just not gonna die <laughs> like on yeah, second yeah. thought maybe i'll choose not to do that but you know yeah. like kind of before he gets that it's that it is that thing of like, like it's a very sort of existential, but like bleak existential, not like, mm. you know, hopeful existential, if that makes any sense. Right. Not like I've had an epiphany, but like, yeah. 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 And so I don't, you know, I, I feel like I'm struggling a bit to like explain what I'm trying to say, but um, it just does sort of seem there. And then there's like, 
you know, the, the, uh, Fisher King sort of like gets some digs in there, right? Like he talks about, um, mm -hmm. you know, he, t he talks about like the friends, you know, the seed of their destruction is already sown. They will die. Like this is, that's sort of like the, the reflection of the doctor's own sentiment, right? Like that there's, you know, the things that have been set in motion cannot be, you know, stopped and, and that, you know, the message is already going out and he's already, you know, summoning his people to, the Fisher King is already summoning his people to come rescue him and they're, you know, warlike. So they're going to destroy the earth and all of that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But then he sort of compares himself. The Fisher King sort of compares himself to the doctor. Um, mm. You have seen the words too, he says. I can hear them tick inside you. But you and and the words being like the message that was scrawled, mm. right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is interesting. So, sort of an aside. Like initially, when I was watching, I thought the ghost was going to be like I don't know something physiological, almost like you know mm -hmm. he is uh, he's a time lord, so he has two hearts. So maybe like one of them stopped and that's what's like right. creating the ghost. Sure, so sure. like, you know, something like along those lines, like where it's like, you know, because he's different because he's, you know, has a different physiology, like that there's some sort of explanation there that's like creating the ghost. while right. him, you know, even though he's like still technically alive kind of thing. Um, right. Right. Obviously that's not what happened, but I just, that's what I was thinking sort of in that moment. But he, yeah. you know, he, he says that he, you know, you've seen the words, you've heard them stick, you know, tick inside you, but you are still locked in your history. Um, and, th and this was like the point where I was thinking that it's like, okay, there's, there's like a dualistic thing going on here, right? There's, there's mm -hmm. this, you know, like, okay, you die and become this sort of automaton, you know, just sort of mindlessly repeating these words and, you know, sending out signals. But like the doctor is still, he's still that protector of time. Uh, willing to die rather than change a word of the future. Um, which again, there like there's word there, right? Like, so you hear these words, but like there's these other words that you're protecting. I kind of like that mm -hmm. idea of the, mm -hmm. the two sets of words that, um, you know, the one is the words of time and the other is the words that, you know, are sort of implanted in him. Um, right, right. But that's when the doctor comes back and, and, uh, you know, sort of is comparing. So it's the comparisons, I think, is what I'm trying to get at is because like you have the Fisher King comparing the doctor to himself, like that there's mm -hmm. this, uh, you know, that they that that they sort of have this same goal. But then the doctor like also has this goal of protecting the future. But then the doctor mm -hmm. compares himself to the Tavolians who are, you know, will surrender to anyone mm. and, and, um, you know, he says you'll, you'll hijack other people's souls and turn them into electromagnetic projections. Um, and it makes them, you know, make someone think if all I have to, to survive is tweak the future a bit, what's stopping me. And it's, it's that idea of all he has to do is whatever it takes to stay alive. But that's what the Fisher King is doing. Like that's, right. that's, you know, the Fisher King is like, I'm just killing people because that's the way I can create the signal to get my warlike people here. And yeah, right. it'll rain massive destruction down on the earth, but hey, at least I'll be alive. That's right. what the doctor 
comes around and ends up doing too. So I think I think there's a sort of parallel going on there and, and a comparison that I find sort of interesting. Now, I think, I don't know, it takes a long time to get to and it took a long time for me to explain and get to it. Yeah. So I don't know, like maybe it could have been simplified there a bit, but I, yeah. I do kind of feel like there that there's like that discussion, that whole sort of discussion between the doctor and the Fisher King does sort of bring out that parallel, you know, again, not the first time that we've seen the doctor sort of compared with some villain or monster or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, that's definitely, uh, you know, not new to have the doctor and the villain compared, but I think what makes it a little more interesting is which it didn't occur to me um, until you just said it was throwing the Tivoli in there as well as like a third point, because this idea of like, we hold up, you know, survival as the ultimate, you know, goal and the ultimate good, but you know, is it always like, you know, the Fisher King, you know, breaks the, like violates death in order to, you know, and, and, you know, destroys other people to survive, you know, and we kind of think he's evil. And then you go, okay, we, we also don't like the Tivoli because, you know, they'll give up everything, you know, their freedom and their dignity and, you know, all these things just to survive. And that's bad. But, you know, but we want the doctor to do anything to survive, you know, and we want him to do anything to, you know, save the companion and everything. Um, And, so it's like, you know, he does have the one line about like, even a ghastly future is better than no future at all. And it's like, is is that always true? <laughs> sure. Like, right. you know, I just, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, maybe where there's life, there's hope, you know, and that's a kind of one way to look at it. You know, another way to look at it is, I don't know, I can imagine some scenarios in which at least on a personal level, you know, death is preferable than some things, you know, maybe I wouldn't necessarily condemn a people to that, you know, but, um, you know, I think there's room for argument there. So yeah, especially when I think you throw in Clara in the mix, you know, who's kind of, again, motivating or manipulating him Mm -hmm. into do anything to survive and do anything to save us you know, then when you have these other characters who we're obviously supposed to kind of look down on for their willingness to do anything to survive, it just complicates it a little bit. Um, So, yeah. And I think, like, I definitely want to, like, obviously this story with the Fisher King is, is over and everything, but the Doctor and Clara's stories are, you know, gonna keep going so i think that's an interesting sort of you know note to sort of leave it on for them like okay yes they survived and everything worked out but you know what just happened there like (laughs) you know or or what all were they kind of preparing to do in order to you know like they don't actually i think the thing that's easy to like not think about is they don't the doctor doesn't actually break any rules like the whole thing about i'm gonna you know it's all like a trick to get the fisher king to go outside so that you know 
the the water, you know, uh, kills him basically. Like, which which you have to really, wonder, like, did he really have to go outside for that? He could have, like, yeah. Like, like if he had stayed in that actually, building, like, it still would have been flooded. Yeah, the whole thing is about ensuring the timeline. It's about like, right. okay, make sure everything goes exactly as we saw it, so that everything, you know, so that it's right. You know, it's just the things that we don't know about, like the ghost is really a hologram or it's the doctor in the stasis chamber, not the Fisher King. But I think it flirts with the idea of, you know, okay, we didn't actually have to change anything or break any rules, but maybe we were prepared to. Um, Or, I mean, you know, a lot of it too is is hesitation that, the doctor doesn't know what's going to happen. And so, so it becomes that, well, when you actually start doing it, you realize, Oh, not only do I now know what's going to happen, but this is what happened all along. Right. And that sort of thing. Um, but right. Which is where you get into all the like predestination paradoxes of any attempt to change the future usually ends up creating the future, which you're trying to avoid. Um, so it's often, you know, well, and when you kind of play along, you find everything sort of works itself out. And so that um, that brings up because, like you said, like the doctor doesn't necessarily, you know, bend any rules or whatever. But that's, you know, we chose that as the title for our episode here. You know, the you bent the rules of life and death or at least the last part of that quote we chose. Um, you know, that's what he's saying to the Fisher King. But that's also an odd accusation for someone who can regenerate. Like, sure. like you know, the doctor blaming other people for bending the rules of life and death. Like, how many times has he done that? <laughs> you know, and how many more right. times will he? You know, that. so that's, you know, it's another little par- you know piece of the parallel, you know, sort yeah. of between the two of them. But I agree, like, even with that accusation and even with all the stuff all the times the doctor has actually bent the rules of life and death. This isn't really one of them. Like this is, I mean, yes, the Fisher King dies, but like the doctor kills him to save everyone out. Like, you know, it's arguably either self-defense or at least defense of others. Like, you know, there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, sort of a legitimacy to, you know, flooding the, the cavern. Um, or not cavern, but you know, the, the valley or whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So there's, you know, I, I, I don't know, I guess again, you know, just pointing out that parallel and, um, and I hadn't quite thought about it in the way that you were saying, like, you know, this is where we leave the doctor and Clara at the end. So like, what does that mean? I don't know. Let's, I, can we watch next week yet? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, actually I do want to talk for, I, I want to at least bring up the sort of the two couples, or at least the the would be couples. The is is yeah. is ersatz the right word to use there? <laughs> like, um, you know the the idea of um, Bennett and O'Donnell, and especially in particular the feelings that Bennett seems to have for O'Donnell. Um, not entirely yeah. sure if they're reciprocated, but we we never get the chance to find out, and that's kind of right. that's kind of the point. <laughs> um, right. Right. Uh, right, right. It's all about don't leave unsaid the things that you know you should have said. So yeah, I think 
it's very much to the point that we don't actually know for sure whether O'Donnell would have reciprocated or not. Um, although, I mean, they seem to get along okay. Not that that right. necessarily implies romantic feeling, but, right, um, right. you know, there at least seems to be a rapport between the two of them. Um, but yeah, that, uh, you know, the the tragedy here being, of course, that O'Donnell, being such a fan of the Doctor um, and the ersatz beloved of Bennett, mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, dies. Um, of course. But, uh, you know, sort of the accu... Like, that's bad. I don't want to deny that. The sort of emotionally worse part of that, though, is, of course, Bennett's completely uh, accurate and damning uh statement to the doctor that oh you were testing out your theory and now that mm -hmm. you know that clara's the next one in line you're not going to let anything happen to her and of course he's absolutely right and that's right that's and the motivation he is and yeah, yeah. I, yeah even before like the events play out we know that's correct but of course the events do play out and yeah you know he's absolutely right and not that the doctor's wrong for saving clara like, I mean, that's, not, I don't think that's Bennett's claim at all. I think yeah. what it is, is that he seems to not, he seems to care less about other people than his, you know, companion. Um, mm. It's hard to not agree with Bennett in that case. Yeah. Like, yeah. even the doctor seems unable to disagree. Um, right, right. You know, so I, you know, again, I don't know, I don't know necessarily what to say more about that other than just like the doctor you know even when they go back right they go like the 10 minutes back in time or whatever and the doctor's like no you can't go save her like even though you know what's going to happen you mm -hmm. you can't you can't just go back and cut tragedy out the root he says um and he sort of gives this whole spiel I mean, it's a few lines, not maybe Spiel is overstating it. But, you know, he, he, he says to Bennett like that um, this is why, you know, you end up seeing ghosts is because you like meddle too much into things and then stuff goes wrong and all of that. But again, that's exactly what the doctor does. So it's like, yeah. you know, how many times does the doctor go back in time? This whole trip is the doctor going back and cutting tragedy at the root. Like, right. like that, right. that's the entire reason they're in the 1980s right now is to, right. you know, at the end of the last episode, he was saying, I'm going to go back in time and fix everything. Yeah. But he won't let other people do it. And, you know, again, like this is that, that thing of, you know, I'm, it's okay for me to like do this stuff, but nobody else. And right, right. You know, again, he's the he's a time lord. He knows the rules and he knows how to bend them and all of those things. But again, it's just like another example of, you know, him telling someone you can't do this when the accusation, you know, is coming from sort of, uh, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of a hypocritical, you know, place. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the like, you know, the the kind of, you know, anarchic hero, we can save everybody, Doctor, at war with the, like, 
bureaucratic time lord you know mm. you can't change time and there are rules and i am the arbiter of these rules and i'll tell you what the rules are and and you know you know follow me and don't do anything um you know i think those are like conflicting aspects of of yeah. the doctor um and they are hypocritical because they are two completely opposite sentiments <laughs> like, well and you how can you like uphold the rules and be an anarchist at the same time but you know he manages to talk out both sides um you know and it is a very do as i say not as i do kind of attitude and i mean that's the question though is is it just like is it like two sides of his personality warring with each other or is it mm him adopting whichever one happens to be most convenient, you know, in the moment. Um, and sure. maybe they're not mutually exclusive like that. Right. You know, right. Maybe, maybe those are the same kind of the same thing. Maybe it's a know? little bit of each. Yeah. So I, I adopt which personality benefits me in the moment. Um, sure. You know, sure. And who doesn't, I mean, you know, let's be honest. Sure. Uh, yeah. The other, I wanted to talk about sort of the other would-be, and turns out it, they actually sort of do at the end become, uh, or at least the assumption is there that they do go on to become a couple, um, is Lun and Cass. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, again, where we do get sort of some of Clara's uh, action here, it's in convincing Lun that he can go out and, um, mm -hmm. you know, get the phone that they need to talk to the doctor and then um, going with Cass when she, when she becomes Clara and like refuses right, right. to like stand there and wait. Um, Stay behind. And goes. Uh, and it's very doctor companion, isn't it? Don't go anywhere. Well, screw this. I'm going somewhere. Like yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much yeah. what the doctor and the companion do. Um, well, and um you know, I don't know that we need to go into like all the details because they just kind of like walk around the base a lot. But, um, you know, in the end, it it's one, obviously we see, you know, the concern and care that uh, Cass has for Lun. Um, mm -hmm. And so maybe you could you could sort of suspect like she has feelings beyond just he's my interpreter, um, mm -hmm. you know, but there's. Uh, you know, that explicit at the end when Bennett sort of obviously understands like what's going on between right. them and sort of backs Lun into a corner of admitting right. his feelings for her. Um, and then they, you know, they kiss and, uh, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, obviously a very different sort of thing that plays out there. Um, but I don't know. I just I wanted to sort of talk through that a little bit because I think that um, there is, you know, that that message that Bennett like tells Lun, right? Like, oh, can you give Cass a message for me? Tell her, uh, you know, right. you're in love with her, blah blah blah. Um, tell her there's no point in wasting time because things happen and then it's too late. And like, this is this is, I think, another sort of parallel with what the doctor was saying earlier of wait a minute, you know, realizing like, you know what, what's the worst that could happen? You know, as long, you know, 
again, maybe there's some really bad stuff that can happen, but if I'm alive, mm. then that's better than dying. And so like, mm -hmm. this is not exactly the same situation. Obviously this is, you know, about two people being in a relationship, but then again, the doctor's motivation was to come back to Clara. So like, there is sort of a bit of a parallel there because it's, you know, it's saying, I don't, I don't have time to like sort of sit here and quibble about the rules and what's right or what's wrong. Like, I just need to not die. <laughs> like, right, um, right. and, and, you know, you need to sort of cut through the BS in both of these situations that, um, that that sort of, you know, that's, that's the advice that Bennett wishes someone had given to him, you know, with regard to O'Donnell apparently. So, um, I think that sort of ties in, even though, again, it's not exactly the same, but it sort of ties into the overall theme there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I think too, the, the, just to finish up the, the one other thing it does for Clara is we don't get a lot of time this season spent dwelling on the loss of Danny. Um, yeah. but it does get to give her a moment to kind of acknowledge that loss, I think, and kind of show like, um, you know, where she is, you know, so she's able to sort of provide some support to Bennett, you know, as someone who's been through what he is, but is, has had more time to sort of grieve her loss and say like, you know, you keep going, you have to yeah. take it from me. There's a whole world out there, a galaxy of life. So, yeah. um, you know, kind of obliquely nodding to, you know, what happened at the, the end of the last season. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I don't think it's even that oblique. <laughs> like, I think. No, I, think we're I mean, other than the fact that it doesn't ever really say. Sure. It all but mentions him by name. Um, right. But but that's the idea is like, I know how he's feeling and I can give you my insight as someone who has been where you are. So, yeah. which, um, which I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that reminds me, um, that point, that point, I agree. Like that's one place where you do get sort of Clara coming in with her insight to be able to provide, um, mm -hmm. you know, that advice or whatever. The other, the other point, um, where I think we do get, um, you know, the good character moment is between her and Lun earlier in the episode where, oh, right. um, you know, she's sort of despondent because she thinks the doctor's dead. Uh, and Lun, you know, is sort of asking her, like, what do you say to people who are scared? Um, one, like maybe in an attempt to like get her to stop thinking about the doctor being dead. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Like, you know, maybe he's just trying to help her get her mind off things, but also, um, you know, he admits, he's like, I'm asking what I should say to you. And, and That's it's, right. you know, of course, like, I mean, this is Lund being maybe sort of smart and, and, you know, jumping in here too, but, you know, it's really Clara who has the knowledge and, and she says, I would say that it's all right, that the doctor will save us. And, and when you say it, do you believe it? Yeah. She said, yeah, I do. So, you know, even though she goes on to not do a whole lot after that, <laughs> there is a sense in which that sort of, uh, jogs her out of her uh funk so to speak um yeah that that it's the realization of like yeah actually the doctor will save us i do actually believe that and that everything will be all right in the end um we don't know how mm -hmm. we don't know what's going on but it is that thing of like 
well, now that I'm saying it out loud, that actually is true. I do actually believe that. So right. um, I think those are two of Clara's better moments in the episode. Um, yeah, yeah. So wanted to make sure we at least included them. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, no, I think those are good. And it's slightly different. Like, I feel like in The Witch's Familiar... She was involved in the plot. It just disappointed me the way she was. Like, it was always getting pushed around or, you know, shoved into something or, you (laughs) know, Missy was, you know, basically controlling her and everything. Even being told how to open the Dalek. Like, just just think this word. Right, right. Like, she wouldn't have thought of that. Exactly. Whereas in this episode, I feel like what she does is good. There's just not much for her to do. Like, it's more of a a plot issue than a characterization issue, maybe. Like, you know, like, she says kind of the right... She says not necessarily the right things, but, like, everything she does is in character. It's just, you know, all the plot is with the Doctor in the past. And the rest of them are sort of running around corridors, sort of waiting for him to sort of fix everything. Um, and not because Clara couldn't fix it, but because like, she's not in a position to, um, so, you know, it's more from the perspective of like, you know, she's just like, not really where the action is, I think. Um, but when we do get character moments, um, I think there are some good ones there. Um, and a lot of them, you know, I think are more building we're still like in the first couple episodes building the characterization for you know the the rest of the season like you know a lot of these things i think are things we'll maybe come back to and even say like oh like little ideas that are even little bits of foreshadowing maybe that like i'm appreciating going through this episode more now than i necessarily did like the first time i saw it um sure but you know I think there's some good character foundation work here. Um, you know. Absolutely. But yeah. It let's let's without spoiling anything, let's let's hope that Clara gets a bit more to do in the next couple episodes. <laughs> Fair enough. Which um, may or may not happen. <laughs> I won't spoil it. We uh I I'll be honest, I'm surprised we went over an hour talking about this i know i was just like thinking that like oh that took longer than i thought it would so okay well i think it's time to switch yeah over, no that's certainly enough we don't need to talk more about it um. <laughs> okay <laughs> so um the thin deadline um which you said is there's that uh reference to the thin blue line, right, of policemen. Yeah. Um, and there's also a movie called The Thin Red Line. So it's kind of yeah, a yeah, about the, pun on that, a, too. About the Pacific uh, War. Yeah. 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 And Which World War II. Yep. I actually have in my Netflix queue, but have not watched. So I don't know if there are it, any connections there or not. Uh, no, The Thin Blue Line is a common reference to police. So yeah, uh, yeah. So that would be the main one there. Uh I saw the th- other than the rhyme of red and dead. I, I, I saw the thin red line. Yeah, I mean, right, and maybe. And now that I think, it is, thin red line came out 
around the same time, I want to say it might have even been the same year, like the year after, year a couple years after um, Saving Private Ryan. So it's in that same vein of like 90s, mm. you know, hardcore war movies. Um, right. Now, right. now I'm, I'm like. 1998. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, when did I? I don't remember when Saving Private Ryan came out. Maybe a couple like years. Ninety nine or something. Oh, two thousand, something like that. Yeah. Not long after. Um, yeah. So, okay. So I want to start with the situation um, with the cops and everything, um, which it's kind of interesting to. Um, oh no! I mean, I feel Sorry. like. They were both 98. I was right. It was the same year. Oh, 98. There you go. Sorry. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Interesting year for war movies. Yeah. Um, I want to start with the situation of the cops because I'm sure this was an interesting episode when it came out, but I feel like in today's climate, it's even more interesting. <laughs> like, yes. you know, I feel like um, this idea of, you know, the, the, trigger happy you know you know cop versus the the you know city kids and street kids you know a lot of them black is very like uh you know striking imagery right now um you know and especially you know it gets into uh you know so you you know the premise being these, you know, cops are, uh, you know, attacking people without provocation and, you know, and, and going to the most extreme violence without, you know, from zero to 60. So if, you know, we're going to arrest you for no reason. And the second you resist, which why wouldn't you, um, we'll kill you, um, you know, is kind of all over the news right now. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. um, and, and, and I think especially because it goes into, we, you know, we get to see the, the captain who's the guy who's doing the little, like, you know, worship of the idol to, we also find out that the zombies can't be, or the, the, the zombies, the cops can't be killed because they're being, you know, they're zombies, they're being brought back to life. So these are all, you know, cops that have been killed who are being resurrected. So you get the kind of, okay, well, the other side of the story is that this is a particularly, you know, violent, you know, crime-laden neighborhood, and these are cops that have been killed on duty. And, you know, so their captain is, you know, resurrecting them, not only to kind of bring down the iron fist, but also because, you know, they, these are good people who deserved, you know, a better fate than they than they got so you know you have this kind of like two sides worrying with each other each of them you know having a point like you know nobody should be killed in either of these situations so it's obviously a tragedy when either side is killed yeah but you know this kind of violence begets violence my side versus your side and your side's violence against my side justifies my use of violence against you, which then triggers more violence and like, you know, it just sort of escalating from there. Yeah. Um, well, 
you know, obviously that's nothing new. It's not like I'm shocked to hear that this, you know, happened before 2015 or something. But um, it was just interesting watching it now being like, it almost feels like it was written now. Um, yeah. Well, a few things about that, because um, one, two, I think this is one of the place where places where Buffy and Angel like sort of date themselves a little bit too. And not like, I totally sure. agree. Like it's totally relevant now um, with so many different stories about brutality and, and all of that. But um, you also have to remember, so this is Angel. So we're in Los Angeles. And so we're in, in, 1991 you have the very uh public and and very well-known story of rodney king who was mm -hmm. who was videotaped uh you know being beaten uh for what appeared to be no clear reason um yeah. by the la uh police um later uh like a year or so it might it was either the same year or, or maybe next year or something you had um uh they came out with the verdict against uh you know those police uh who participated that as being not guilty and that's you know i i again we're even just this week you know we're getting not not guilty or like hung juries and you know like things like that on these cases of cops that just seem like so clear cut that like this is yeah. not stuff that um and that set off um oh here it is it, it was in april 1992 so almost like a little more than a year later after the rodney king meeting you get the officers find not guilty and you go through what ends up being like five days of massive riots in la and right, right. and all of these things um you know going on where you get uh you get um uh, like there was, I, I remember, I mean, I, I was in high school at the time and I remember seeing, you know, on TV, the news and stuff of, um, the truck driver who was like pulled out of his car and like, you know, you see like people raising like the cinder blocks and like beating him, you know, and throwing mm -hmm. it at him. It's like, you know, that's, it's just like all these, and then that's where you get like during those riots, you get the infamous, uh, you know, can't we all just get along, you know, thing from Rodney King and, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, all of these sort of thing. But, um, okay, you know, so that was 1991, 92. This is Angel, you know, 10-ish, 8-ish, 9-ish years later. Um, yeah. But, you know, all throughout the 90s, you continue to have problems. And not that it's necessarily gotten better uh, since mm -hmm. then. But, like, you, you have all these problems, particularly in L.A., uh right. with the LAPD and with corruption and uh discrimination and um right. you know uh uh profiling and all of these sorts of things going on so well that's true <clears throat> and i hadn't um been thinking about that necessarily but like this being set in LA and the LAPD being notorious for that yeah. as opposed to not that it can't happen or doesn't happen anywhere but as opposed to some other major cities in, in particular, I feel like LA is one of the ones that is yeah. particularly known. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like LA and that Chicago being an institutional seem to be thing. like yeah. the two that right. are always sort of brought up as those <laughs> exemplary right. in not right. a good right. way. Um, in a terrible way. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And you're right. Like, again, not that that can't or doesn't happen elsewhere, but it's like, I, I think especially, you know, sort of, this seems to me 
Um, especially when I see that, you know, let's get the videotape and you sort of see, you know, um, Gunn's friend there, yeah. you know, looking through the viewfinder and stuff. And you get that same feeling of this is, you know, police brutality caught on tape. And of course, uh, of course, technology is another way which sometimes these shows date themselves a bit. Like this is well, well before <laughs> even like, well before, and well, well like, before yeah, even, yeah. Um, you know, uh, videos on phone let alone smartphones like um you know flip phones did in in at some point before we had smartphones like flip phones did have sort of video capabilities but they were you know grainy and you couldn't really they weren't they weren't anything that were useful um and like you could take like seconds of video on them now like you know you can now right um so yeah, so this is like, you know, we have this big boxy camcorder and we got to pop a videotape in it and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, like this, it, it very much has that feel of it to me, like that there's someone, you know, there's, it's a, it's a sting operation, you know, they're going out, they've got their gear loaded up and they're trying to get, you know, figure out why these cops are attacking them. And what's the best way to do that? Well, get a cop to attack you. <laughs> right, right, mm. right, and um, you know, there there is reference to that too. Like it's obvious that um, while this sort of undead zombie cop situation is unusual, it's not like this is the first example of you know police brutality that they're aware of. You know, because you know you have guns saying like. Um, uh, where is it? Uh, you know, okay, you get the camcorder and wait for the cops to hassle us. How do you know he's going to hassle us? We'll be the ones walking while black. Mm-hmm. So even just the fact that that joke plays, like they know all we have to do is go find the cop and stuff's going to go down. Right. You know, it's not going to be, um, you know, they, they expect it to be fairly easy to get some sort of situation going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, kind of, a, I mean, obviously a kind of more than a little of a metaphor of the week, um, right. <laughs> you know, aspect of it, but, um, but I, I like when Angel does that with like things that are specifically like LA flavored. Cause I feel like that sets it apart. So not just like the adult nature of it, but that's another thing that sets it apart from Buffy, you know, um. Like Buffy's very kind of any town USA, you know, like it's Mm. Sunnydale, like this kind of nondescript place. Whereas like, I feel like Angel occasionally tries to take advantage of the fact that it's specifically set in LA to tell some of its stories. Like you wouldn't have this, you can't do this story in Buffy, Um, you know. Right, Um, right. I mean, I do we have yet to see a black character in Sunnydale? But like, it just doesn't. Mister and Mister Trick, but he was a vampire. Mister Trick, Mister Trick, but it's not even just that. It's like that this kind of stuff doesn't happen there. This is clearly a sure. inner city LA kind of story. Um, and yeah, they're magically influenced, but like, you know, you you couldn't. You couldn't and you wouldn't do this story anywhere else. Like the captain of the Sunnydale police wouldn't, you know, think to do a spell like this or go out of his way to kind of 
you know, reanimate the corpses of his buddies in this yeah. way. Like it's because of the, where they are that this story becomes like a possibility, I think. Well, and I think, you know, to kind of the point you made earlier about this is sort of a vicious cycle, um, you know, insofar as like, these are dead cops. It's not like, it's not like these are just, you know, people who happen to die or like whatever, like they were killed presumably while on duty by bad, you know, thugs or whatever, you know, people like Jackson who are perfectly fine, you know, with carrying pieces around and don't really have any sort of empathy or consideration for other people. Um, so it's 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 not like you can't sort of understand the captain's motivations either. Yes, he takes it too far. But, you know, sort of Kate's point at the end, insofar as she has a point, um, is that, you know, crime was pretty darn bad. Like, it's not like, you know, this wasn't, you know, Mayberry. Like, you know, you right. you had you had uh, attacks, you had you know, rapes and murders and, you know, things going on. Um, That doesn't justify, like, killing or beating people up just randomly. Like, but you can understand how someone could be so frustrated with that situation that they would, well, you know, we're now what are we back to? We're back to doing whatever it takes to keep you and your kind safe. Uh, It just so happens that, you and your kind are not the people who live there. <laughs> you know, right. you and your kind are the white cops, whereas the people who get hurt by it are, you know, the, uh, you know, the black people or the, you know, the minorities who live in that area or whatever, you know. Um, right, right. So. Right. And the cure becomes as bad, if not worse than the disease, you know, right. like, you know, uh, Okay, yes, there were there was a, a rape and a murder every day, but now there are cops committing probably dozens of murders a day. Yeah. You know, like well, it, the 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 this you know, your your vicious retaliation isn't, you know, that's the cyclical nature of it is each vicious retaliation causes the next and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, and and the fact that like they know what they're doing is wrong, right? Like that, I mean, that's why they go after him. It's, you know, were there witnesses? Yes. So like, well, now we have to take care of the witnesses. Like, you know, right, it, right. It, it's not just that like, oh, you know, we take care of stuff, but like if we happen to mess up, you know, it's no big deal. It's like, well, no, now people know what's going on and we have to kill them too. So, right, right. you know. Well, and the and the and the breaking the, the laws of life and death aspect of it too, of, you know, it's not just, okay, we need a, t- a firmer hand and, and more cops, but now we have undead cops who can't be killed. So there's no self-preservation or fear of any kind. And so it becomes this, you know, brick wall, you know, which can completely crush the other, you know, yeah. there's no, there's no motivation to compromise or listen or you know, think or be reasonable at all because you're completely invincible Mm -hmm. now. So you've kind of, you know, once you violate, okay, it's tragic that that those cops were killed, but, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, 
it's a good thing to make it, you know, so that they are undead. Um, that doesn't correct the tragedy of them having died. It just creates like a new problem. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of within that, that, you know, the main thrust of the plot, I want to talk about um, Anne and Jackson, because I feel like, you know, they have some, they have a lot of interaction with Gunn and the others, but it's more about how they relate to that part of the plot than they're really, you know, whatever their character relationships are. Um, so I guess to start with Anne, we do get her back again, which, you know, yeah. was, <laughs> so I was, I was led to believe that we had seen the last of her. I, sorry, that's my, I completely forgot about this, her being in this episode and yeah, that's yeah. my bad. Um, that's funny. Um, yeah, so, I mean, so not only was she back, but we find out that she actually knows Gunn pretty well, it looks like. So, yeah, and you, you know, almost either get, from... You, you almost get a hint that maybe there was something between them at one point. Um, right, like more, right. More than yeah. just simply knowing each other, but... Um, right, no, they seem like they were... Um... Sorry, I was going to sneeze. Um, and then it went away. <laughs> uh, you know, close, however you want to define their closeness um you know and there's the the little fake out of you know her all of the you know her uh shelters bursting at the seams because every kid on the street wants a bed to get away from the cops and so they're all kind of coming to her and asking her for help and she says I think I know someone who might help and you think like you know it's either going to be angel or wolfram at heart you know um these are her powerful contacts right. and then no she goes to gun um which is interesting like like he's the kind of trustworthy one you know and the one who knows the kids and knows the neighborhood right. and actually is probably the right one to go to um yeah well yeah and i mean we get obviously like our last uh, uh you know last time we saw her uh you know she left with sort of a bad taste in her mouth for both Angel and right. uh, Wolfram and Hart. Right. So like it, you know, like upon, re like you're right, that's totally the sort of direction I think you're led to uh, sort of expect. But upon reflection, you're like, yes, it does make more sense that she would go to someone who isn't either of them, right, uh, right. whoever that person is. And, and, yeah. and yeah, you're right. Like knowing sort of guns, uh, growing up on the streets right i mean he you know perhaps he used that shelter maybe not when ann was running it but you know maybe before you know whoever the previous uh administrator was or whatever you know may have been um there yeah. and and being sort of in charge of his own crew certainly would have known about sort of maybe the safe houses that were reliable and that kind of thing right right um, and uh, and um, almost in that like and and I think this maybe supports the closeness. Like they're sort of in the same line of business. Like in insofar right. as like he was also someone who was like sort of taking care of groups of younger people than him, um, and sort of yeah. leading, yeah. leading them in some way or, or form. So yeah, um, yeah. No, so that's it was good. It was another a good way of getting her. Um, involved in another story and obviously like she's you know 
it's it was logical to have her it makes sense that she would be involved in this story mm-hmm. um and then the other one i wanted to talk about was jackson um yeah. who again like we get a sense of some history with gun you know like they don't really see eye to eye you know kind of antagonize each other and everything um but i think jackson being this kind of you know another sort of player in this ongoing you know struggle in this neighborhood you know he's there as this kind of i mean notably he's one person so he's kind of definitely shown to be a minority but um you know is representative of of the part of you know the culture that actually is it is antagonizing the the cops not just you know he's not just the innocent victim and it's not even like some of the others you get the idea that there's some sort of like soft crime going on you know like you know maybe they deal some weed but they're not really dangerous like some of these teenagers and stuff but like you know this is the guy who like you said like carries his you know gun around you know sticking out of his pants you know very kind of um you know yeah he's very much into the thug life and very uh, yeah aggressively masculine and violent you know kind of uh you know the the kind of guy who Anne clearly doesn't want in her house around her kids um you know and and seems like this is business as usual for him like the war with the cops is not a a uh, you know, this is not the kind of story of the week. This is like every day, um, you know, and, you know, at, at him as the other side of the coin, as, you know, the one to show like there are people out there who, you know, will go after and like it's guys like him that are, you know, probably killed the cops in the first place. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure, I don't know whether we would see him again or whether to expect to see him again, but it seems like, you know, in kind of trying to show the culture of the area, you have to kind of like have different representative characters, um, you know, and his like, you know, his failure of empathy, just like, you know just like the cops in a way, like, I mean, the the cops are zombies, but like just the way that they like, you know, refuse to, if that's kind of symbolic of their refusal to listen or, you know, uh, be reasonable or fair to the kids that they're, you know, dealing with, um, you know, you have Jackson who like has no sympathy for anybody else, like, you know, when Wesley's like dying on the couch, it's, you know, well, you know, that's the white man dying and he's not going to cry about that. Right. Um, right. And it doesn't matter, you know, who he is or if he's a friend of you, you're, you know, somebody that you know, or whether he got shot by the same cops that you're complaining about. Right. You know, it's just because he's different from me, you know? Um, yeah. This is not an, enemy of my enemy is my friend situation it's it's a i'm in it for myself and i don't care about anyone else right 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 
Yeah. And so, you know, he's, and then at the end, you know, it's kind of poignant that at the end, when the cops are all kind of taken care of, it's, well, looks like the streets got, just got safer, time to go to work. So he's going to go out and get them back into, you know, all the like crime, the hard crime that Kate was talking about, um, yeah. you know, is, you know, stemming from people who have an attitude like Jackson does. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's kind of out there to make sure things get back to normal, I guess. <laughs> he's just looking out for the neighborhood. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I don't, I mean, whether we see Jackson or not specifically, like, I think, I think it's a, you know, he's a type. It's it's not necessarily about right. him specifically. We don't learn much about him specifically. We learn just enough to sort of know the type and, um, you know, just like we don't really get to know the cops as well. Right. I mean, they, right. maybe the captain a little bit, um, but not even him that much. Um, and certainly yeah. not the zombie cops. Like we don't, you know, other than like the one who, you know, Angel brings his badge into Kate to sort of identify him. You know, we learn some superficial details about when he died and that, you know, sort of thing. But we don't really. I think in a way that that sort of sets up, like you were saying, um, you know, before that, like this, you know, part of the vicious circle is maintaining your ignorance, right? It's maintaining that lack of empathy um, by not really getting to know the people involved. You just, oh, they're thugs, so they deserve to be thrown in jail or, you know, worse. Um, or, mm -hmm. oh, they're cops, they don't care about us, they're racist pigs, and, you know, so therefore I'm going to, you know, shoot at them kind of thing. Right. So, like, you know, I think I think part of part of maintaining that cycle is maintaining those outlooks uh, that require you to sort of ignore individuality um, and focus on the type. Uh, and that right. and that's what we get in both cases here, I think. Right. Right. So, OK. So that's all the kind of plot of what's going on. But um, obviously we get a fair amount of stuff with uh, Gunn and Wesley and Cordy that I want to go over. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for stuff like this, but um, when we were talking about Anne, that kind of fake out of you think she might go to Angel and then she goes to Gunn, there are a couple places where Gunn is sort of set up to be paralleled with angel here you know like he's not quite the leader of the group but i mean in this episode he kind of is just by the circumstances but it's not like he's in charge but there's even like the jokes about well you know we're gonna call it you know gun agencies or whatever and the others keep shooting him down but you get that coupled with the fact that you know uh you know Anne is sort of coming to him for help and and he's you know, um, you know, the fact that he goes off to kind of help her alone and then refuses help when Cordy, it's like, that's very angel. And she even says like, well, he's learned from the master about <laughs> right, how to, right. how to be stubborn and not accept any help or advice and all these things. Um, so it's sort of like, 
I don't know. Like I, I'm, I imagine if things keep going on with them, he, maybe he does kind of take over as a natural sort of either from the positive side, maybe he's a natural leader in the group or you see those as like troubling things, which he shouldn't be doing. Like those are the kinds of things that get angel into trouble. Yeah. Um, is the, the, the refusal to be one of the team. Um, so, you know, just when we were talking about, it, it was kind of striking me, like how many different little references there are to, uh, his similarity to Angel there. Hmm. Um, you know, and even I was going to say a big difference being his kind of focus on his friends here, the kind of the care that he shows when Wesley gets shot, you know, and, hmm. and, uh, you know, how concerned he seems and how like, you know, uh, you know, he's very committed to taking care of him and like watching over him at the end and everything. And, but I mean, even that we keep getting these little things of Angel hovering back over the group again. Like he's starting to kind of wonder, you know, what are they doing? Are they okay? You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, we can kind of talk about Angel in a bit, but um, even that is kind of an Angel the kind of guy who pretends to be a loner, but really is, isn't, is a very, uh, angel type characteristic, I think. Sure. Yeah. And. All right. So maybe let's talk a little bit about angel because we do get those, uh, well, sorry, unless you want, did you, was there anything more about gun or even less in Cordy? Um, I mean, just a few little things. I mean, just the Wesley plot, like that kind of being a shocking, mm. you know, development. Like, I, it's sort of like in the back of my mind, I know he's coming, but I wasn't necessarily like, you know, it's kind of a surprise when he suddenly shows up and then gets sort of blasted away. Um, and then there's a moment where, like, after their the fight is over and they come back to the couch and the way he's sort of, like, lying with his eyes open. For a second, I thought he died. <laughs> mm. Just the way it was shot. And which I think I know Wesley's in the rest of the series. But, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time a character dies and comes back. So that didn't necessarily right. stop me from thinking that. Him, um, him being in the rest of the series doesn't necessarily mean you know how or in what capacity exactly <laughs> like what that means i don't even really know that he's in the sure. series i th i think he is but um but yeah i mean for all i know he's you know uh supernaturally resurrected or something um so there was kind of a uh i don't know that they were necessarily trying to like fake me out but i had a moment of you know, genuinely wondering whether, you know, he was going to make it, which I guess, you know, is, you know, good job to them for making me wonder that and worry about that. Um, sure. So, I mean, other than that, obviously he can't contribute too much to the story because he's sort of bleeding and lying around and, you know, um, yeah, but 
Yeah, and I think... No, other than that, I don't have a whole lot else to say. I think there's also a... I mean, it's kind of... Um, it's kind of a subversion too, right? Because you're expecting, you're expecting the cop to beat the black guys, right? I mean, right, that's right. that's what you're expecting. And then you do kind of get like as shameful as it might be, you do kind of expect like when Wesley's like, no, no, he's one of my friends. It's like, all right, white man vouching for the black guys, right? Right, right. And would you feel like that's Wesley's intent? Is like exactly, you know? Yeah, let me let me, fellow white man, let me vouch for these kids. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, he's not expecting to get, and then, you know, yeah, of blasted. course, the cop just shoots him, and you find right. out that is not. And you know, maybe that's not wholly unexpected because we saw Angel, you know, getting accosted by a cop earlier. So, like, there's right. it seems right. to be, it seems to be oddly non-discriminatory, um, not in a good way. Um, that's true. That's true. You know, but but I do still think like that. It's it is sort of a. Um, subversion in that way because you're you, you know nobody i think is expecting when wesley comes around that corner that he's going to get shot um mm -hmm. you know not us not any of the characters uh you know i think it just it's that thing of okay let's take this situation and and see you know what what's the least expected thing that could happen here right um, in a way right anyway um, and I don't have much for Cordy. I mean, <laughs> although there, there is that funny moment with her where she sees, um, the girl wearing her shirt, uh, oh, right, and, yeah. and you sort of vaguely recall back that Angel right, donated right. a bunch of clothes that someone had left at his house. Um, and you know, I, I don't know if it occurred to you at the time that he was talking about Cordy, but. See, I thought, I think I thought it would have been some of Darla's stuff or something right. like from like the one night that she was over. Right. Um, so, yeah, because he said something about like, well, she's sort of a friend or something. It sounded like a, it's complicated kind of thing. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, so I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be Cordy. Um, um, but that's funny. And then she has to like pretend like she wasn't complaining that her stuff got donated you know to well, some and, needy kids and you have to wonder if like she even realized it because she kind of, she's kind of like you know the lady said it was one of a kind so like maybe she really actually thinks uh right. you know that right. that's you know uh i you know i, I don't whatever um and also like Anne gives a sort of little smile like maybe she put pieces it together because um, she already knows that, like, they're connected to Angel they know at that Angel, point. Yeah. So yeah. maybe she sort of realizes what happened there. But, um, yeah. Anyway, too late. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't have much for Cordy. Um, just that. No, I mean, just that they're continuing. Like she's, you know, continuing to be concerned. Like she's back on the, you know, can you pay, <laughs> uh, sort right, of train right. and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and then at the end, when Angel shows up at the hospital um, and she gives him what for, that's that's really kind of the moment. Um, yeah, we get we get kind of uh, old Cordy back. Um, sure. Of, yeah. You know, we don't need you. You walked away. Do us a favor and stay away. Like she's you know, she's this is Sunnydale Cordy. <laughs> like this is. Mm -hmm. um not, right, mean girl, Courtney. Kind yeah, of. not that she's never, um, 
you know, there there are moments in other Angel episodes too, but like I do feel like this is very much a, you know, this is very much like post hurt by Xander Cordy too. Like mm-hmm. you you know, I'm not gonna let someone else hurt me the way that you just hurt me. So, you right. know, I'm gonna reject you before you can reject me. Yeah. Um, yeah, but also with a with an added dose of being protective about Wesley, which I think is sure more the new Cordy of, you know, it's yeah. not just about you hurt me, but it's like you hurt these other people that I care about. So I'm going to protect all of us, you know, like that kind of loyalty to the group. Um, sure. And that's a good, you know, that's a good point. Like her motivation does seem you know, clearly different here than maybe it used to be. So. Yeah. And I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Like she can protect herself and protect Wesley. Um, and actually it's like the, the, the slightly self-centered aspect of it is, well, Wesley's the one who got hurt. Maybe he would like to see angel, Mm. you know? Um, and you know, so the idea that she sends him away and then goes in there and presumably doesn't mention that Angel was ever here, that's a kind of like, you know, okay, did you give the patient the opportunity to refuse Angel, you know, for himself? Or, you know, right. um, that's Cordy's idea of protecting Wesley, but is that really protecting him or not? You know, right. is a different question, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah, so, but we do get Angel a couple times in the episode. Um, it was it was the last one with the host, right, where he's sort of, it ends with him sort of admitting maybe I did, you know, uh, yeah. kind of do wrong by my friends. And so, you know, you kind of start with him looking around his big empty hotel, you know, um, you know, maybe kind of wondering what the others are up to or missing them a bit. And then you see that him kind of watching them, um, a couple times in the episode. And then, you know, for all Cordy's telling him like, you know, you're not helping us. Angel's obviously the one who kind of saved their necks in the end because he, you know, got to the captain and broke the statue and everything. Right. Um, right. Well, so and that's the irony is, of the whole thing. Right? That's the, right. Like he is very, you know, directly helping them. Um, but they don't know that, um, you know, and he listens to Cordy when he, when she tells him to just go away, he doesn't argue or try to explain himself at all. Yep. Yep. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's coming around. (laughs) We'll see. I mean, not giving anything away, but I mean. I I think we're building to something. (laughs) Yeah. We're building towards the end of the season anyway. Whatever that implies. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah. Yeah. No, and I think... uh, just to sort of round Angel out, like I think to, um, you know, where maybe he's not as able to like be with his old crew, there is sort of a reconciliation happening between him and Kate, 
who yeah you know kate does uh you know there's still a little iciness there but i think right. i think but not 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 open hostility like there right. was before right and and it seems like maybe part of that is that you know again she sort of like angrily throws the you know murdered wolfram and hart employees you know all basically all of the bad stuff that darla and drew did in his face as if it were his fault which of course it's not but mm -hmm. except for the fact that he did sort of walk away and leave the wolfram and hart people to them but that doesn't mean yeah. he committed the act himself he just didn't right, intervene right. um but there is that sense of like maybe she's starting to see a a little wider view of what's really going on um and sort of the atrocities and horrors and especially like now this is it's not just like oh there are bad uh you know people out there or bad demons or whatever but like these are people she actually knew at least some yeah. of them so like there's it's a different aspect from you know is this is this you know just some random uh demon who is out there and <clears throat> you know are all demons alike it's like well no wait a minute these are actually people who who i knew and you know went to their funerals and possibly respected you know um yeah so yeah yeah any yeah any. and her kind of them understanding each other more you know, at the end of, you know, she's the one to kind of talk about all the crime that will now happen again, that they've stopped. Right. You know, the captain and, and you know, her, you know, you, you learn to live with a lot of things, don't you? And she says, this job is making me crazy. And he says, I know the feeling. So like her kind of coming more to like, less of a black and white view of things and more seeing that shade of gray in the middle of, you know, she may not um, like Angel or approve of all of his decisions, but she's understanding that the difficulty of the decisions that he's making and everything. And that like every, everything you do is, is seemingly leading to some sort of negative outcome, <laughs> no matter what you do. Um, right. you know, yep. you kind of have the idea of her as like maybe losing the innocence of, okay, I'm going to join the, be a detective to do some good. And then finding that, well, you know, every good thing I do creates some sort of, you know, uh, you know, unintended, you know, ripple effect that has a bad consequence or so like becoming a little bit more jaded, I guess. Yep. Um, and so, you know, the other thing is like with the two of them going around, you get almost more of a partner vibe between them than, right, right. you know, in other, uh, other weeks. So. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, I don't know that we, I, uh, d did you have anything else? Like, I don't know that there's a lot more to go through. I feel like, um, this is a fairly, uh, metaphor of the week, even though we do get, you know, some of the stuff with Angel and, and his group and their interactions, but, mm -hmm. um, um, 
No. Oh, the only last thing was Merle. Um, sure. Who is tired of being everybody's punching bag and is packing up uh, to go find some other place to mm. be. I don't know that I blame him. Um, so yeah, he, he tell he gives Angel like one last tip about a big important meeting at Wolfram and Hart. But after that, he's, he's apparently out of here. So, um, we'll see whether that lasts or not. Mm. Um, I'm not sure whether there's anything else important about that, but, um, other than that, I think that's everything that I had. All right. Well, then we will be back with another episode of Buffy next week and some more Doctor Who. All right. See you then.